Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. And remember, if you're looking forward to the show half as much as I am, then I'm obviously looking forward to the show twice as much as you are. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you pre-recorded, way pre-recorded. In fact, a week pre-recorded. But uh, anyway, on tonight's show, uh, I've got uh, I've got some readings for you. Yeah, some readings from Rattray's Tobacco. It's a uh, tobacco booklet that Rattray's put out I don't know, a whole long time ago. And then my guest tonight is uh, Jeff Tomei of Four Noggins, and uh, Jeff's the new owner there, and uh, he's got a, a, a fresh new perspective on the business, and had fun sitting down and talking to Jeff. Uh, and uh, for a lot of you, we are about one week away from uh, the convergence of all pipe smokers of the world on the greater Chicago area. Yeah, one week from now, the tent will go up. Uh, I will not be there until Saturday afternoon because uh, my daughter is graduating on that Friday. So, uh, But we'll have shows for you, regular shows, and uh, I'll get there Saturday around noon. So if you're there on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday looking for me, well, I'm not there. <laughs> Just keep looking for me. I will get there. Uh, also, we have uh, I'll have JDRF auction updates for you on and uh, the stuff coming up. And just remember, those auctions are running right now as you're listening to this on uh, the Pipe Stud. And then this Saturday, he's got some tobaccos going up on his website. So I'll update that for you in the show. And uh, I do hope that uh, you know that everybody does get a chance to at least uh, get to the Chicago Pipe Show at least once or twice in their lifetime. Uh, you know these memories that we make, the people that we make, the things that we see and do; those seem to last forever. And uh, getting out to a pipe show is just one of those things. So, all right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody, sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And, uh, you know, speaking of Missouri Meerschaum, one of the things that I like to do at especially at either uh, Chicago or uh, Kansas City, because those are the two places that I'm guaranteed to see uh, Pat and Phil uh, from Missouri Meerschaum. Uh, that's where I get all my taste testing pipes. And about once a year, I'll swing by and grab one of their grab bags that they usually have sitting on their table. And it's the only place you can get them is at, uh, is at a pipe show. All right, so there's a, uh, there's a website called uh, SoCalPipester.com dot com s-o-c-a-l pipester.com and it looks like it was started by a guy named scott who is kind of backed off of it but one of the things that he posted was uh rattray's booklet on tobacco blending a disquisition for the connoisseur 
And this book looks like it goes back to uh, probably 1940s, 1950s. Uh, but I thought I'd read to you from the uh, from the beginning of it because there's some fun stuff in here and it's historical and I'll uh, try to describe it for you the best I can. So it begins with uh, some little quotes and the and the first one is there is a shop I love in a street in a town. It is a tobacco shop. I peer in at the windows and at the door every time I pass. Because placed about among the barrels of tobacco are the most beautiful wooden figures I've ever seen. One is a sailor, almost life-size, with all the romance of bygone days in his dress. Another is a dusky beauty, small and fragile, and standing as if on guard at the door. There is a Highlander, six feet or more in height, attired in a kilt of Forbes tartan, with all the accompaniments of bonnet plaid and shoon this figure cannot but stir in the beholder a fervid pride if there is one speck of scottish blood in him he looks so grand and noble holding a snuff mull in his left hand while with his right a pinch of being carried to his august nose uh, that excerpt is from uh, chambers journal august 36 by b.a forbes and it goes on, and the next page shows all these figurals that were uh, carved figurals. And it says, before the advent of tobacco, all trade signs were inanimate objects. But the highest pinnacle of the wood carver's art was only reached when tobacco merchants introduced effigies of the human figure beautifully carved as seen above from the Rattray collection. So Rattrays had collected uh, what we would now call tobacco store Indians. However, these are, uh, not only are they Indians, they're Scots, they're uh, different kinds of people. And remember, in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, not everybody could read. So all the shops had some sort of figural notification of what they sold, and these guys holding snuff mills and uh, pipes and stuff like that. Uh, and then the foreword is, uh, as the result of numerous experiments and investigations, I have been producing a variety of refreshing and stimulating mixtures for the pipe, which pipe smokers throughout the country have acknowledged to be unsurpassed for purity, sweetness, flavor, and aroma. The popular brands already on the market gratify a certain demand, admittedly, but they cannot, by virtue of the conditions of their manufacture, satisfy or delight a cultivated, fastidious taste. The character, flavor, and strength which my tobaccos regale are the result of practical knowledge and expert skill, studious attention to detail, and the utilization by me of the finest single tobaccos. There is a further factor... The expert cunning of the hand in conjunction with the expert intuition of the senses. The factory eliminates both are present in mine. While the minutia which governs my production is sacrificed by the factory to production in bulk or mass, I pursue, in other words, the methods of old tobacco blender who with the instinctive delight of the craftsman abhorred haste and detested adulteration. There we go. I can speak English too. Uh, his blends were permeated with his rare skill and repeat and replete knowledge. In like manner, I do not produce any tobacco for any smoker at any price. 
Being exclusive, they gratify and confirm an enlightened taste. They are suffused with the seductive qualities the virtuoso appreciates. They resuscitate the old charm which the old tobacco blender evoked. My process of manufacture is recorded in the following pages under such headings as selecting, mixing, blending, sifting, and packing. Each process is rigorously observ observed and, is, and so important is each to the other or each to the synthetic harmony of all that the omission of one would be a disastrous to the whole blend. Following thereupon, I enumerate my various blends to each blend. I have, uh, uh, sorry, to each blend I have appended a few explanatory notes. My purpose is obvious, to enable the smoker to differentiate between them and to assist him to choose the particular blend which his particular palate requires. To the production of these tobaccos, my exclusive energies are devoted. Already established in the affection of my clients, I submit my tobaccos with complete confidence to the, arbi to the arbitrament of the critical sense of taste of touch and of smell of such connoisseurs as are yet acquainted with them, Charles Rattray. So I'll stop there. If you're interested in hearing more about it, I'll read more, or you can go to SoCalPipester.com, uh, SoCalPipester.wordpress.com, and the entire booklet is there, but I thought it was really cool that even back then, so you have Charles Rattray, talking about how he's hand blending each batch and talking about how he doesn't compromise on price or uh, quality at all, uh, that he only does tobaccos for the discerning smoker. He doesn't do them for the masses and yet they're each done by hand and that you can't do that in a, uh, uh, in a factory. Uh, this is back when Charles Rattray was in Perth, Scotland and was doing all the blending there by hand. I just thought it was really cool to read all that old stuff. Uh, and then there's this wonderful uh, anonymous quote in here that says, If a man does smoke, let him smoke good tobacco that no extra and unnecessary offense be given to the weaker brethren. Anonymous. There you go. All right, in uh, just a minute, Jeff Tomei. This is Internet Radio. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe. Just by smoking what you like, and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes, and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite, or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm. Smoking Pipes, in faithful service of the hobby. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us is somebody who I get to know. I, Jeff, we talked a little bit before, but this is kind of fun because I get, you know, I, 
I really don't know you, but uh, uh, I guess what do you what do you call yourself? Owner operator of uh, Four Noggins. Uh, chief and uh, chief cook and bottle washer, whatever it whatever it is, everything that needs to be done gets done one way or another, and I'm usually involved in most of it. So, well, Jeff Tomei of FourNoggins.com, welcome to the Pipes Magazine Radio Show. Thank you. It's great to be here. All right, so let let's get to know you because uh, so where where did you grow up and what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I grew up in southern Connecticut and spent all my life here. I guess I'm a Connecticut Yankee at heart. Uh, what did I want to be when I grew up? It wasn't a tobacconist. Uh, I wasn't a guy uh, even in the online space. I guess when I, my early on days, I thought I wanted to be a stockbroker or a banker. Went to university and got a degree in finance. Didn't know what I was going to do with it, but I thought if I understood how money worked, I might be able to make more of it. So it's <laughs> it's provided me with some uh, some leverage in that respect. And that, uh, you know, I think that's something that a, a lot of people don't quite have a full grasp on, especially kids, you know, being a father as well as, you know, basic finance and uh, money 101, how money works is a really important thing. But anyway, uh, I pursued a career in the aerospace industry. I migrated over to aerospace and found that my you know, I was best suited to jobs that really had more to do with um, customer contact, business development, sales. And I spent a good percentage of the last 25 years uh, doing those various kinds of roles in the uh, aerospace aviation industry. Wow. So were you like uh, selling spacesuits to NASA? No, I was primarily working either on the business jet side of it, where there was aircraft charter business jets and working for manufacturers, companies that actually made aircraft, uh, made components of aircraft, pieces of airplanes, et cetera. You know, I've always been fascinated by airplanes and flight. Uh, back in the early 1990s, I got my private pilot license and uh, flew recreationally. And that was kind of a requirement for a job that I had at the time. Um, but it's always been a fascination of mine. I'm kind of the kind of guy who likes to just sit at an airport and watch airplanes take off and land. So it's kind of a, it's an interesting pastime and hobby for me as well as it was a profession. Yeah, so in, in high school, it, a friend and I, a friend of mine and I, we used to ride on Saturdays or Sundays, ride our bicycles down to the private aviation airport near us and watch people do touch and goes and see, sure. how, see how many times they bounced. So, yeah. <laughs> so, well, the idea of, just the idea of flight is very interesting to me. I mean, even, even birds and things like that. So that's kind of a, an interest of mine is anything that's, taking flight is uh, something that I'm always fascinated by. So uh, when did uh, when did pipes and cigars and and all that come into your life? Well, it came in as a profession when I bought the four noggins back in December of 2017. It wasn't like a premeditated desire of mine to be in this industry, but I knew that I had had enough of a corporate run and I decided it was time to, you know, to do something for myself and to I was look, so I was look, looking for businesses quite actively for probably a couple of years. And I came across this business. I, I knew I wanted to be in the e-commerce space. I knew I didn't want, you know, kind of a walk-in retail sort of a business. Or I, I looked at manufacturing opportunities and some other businesses. But when I came across this e-commerce opportunity for Four Noggins, I thought it was very interesting in that it was a niche that, you know, not a lot of people were looking to get into. It's not a, you know, people aren't clamoring to get into the tobacco business these days. Yeah. But, but it's, uh, you know, it was a very well-run business. So Rich Gottlieb, the former owner, had done a nice job building the business. It was very predictable revenues. He had a nice steady business model. And uh, 
from an economic uh, and practical point of view, it made a lot of sense for me. So uh, we took the plunge and uh, here we are doing uh, quite well with the business right now. And it's a decision I'm glad I made. Had you uh, smoked a pipe or cigar before you bought the business? So so pipe smoking never was really something that I, I did uh, as a hobby. I did smoke a cigar occasionally, but I've, I've become really interested in pipes just because of the the collectible nature of it and the hobby nature of it and, and how passionate the customers are for it. So it's been something that it's really been a tremendous learning experience for me. And it's, uh, you know, part of a, a group and a collection of people who, who really have a, a lot to say about, about pipes and tobacco and smoking. And it's, uh, I never knew there was such depth uh, in, in this industry until I've gotten involved with the four noggins. Yeah. So this is kind of interesting because in, in the, um, in, in my time in the trade, I used to say that yeah, ninety percent of the customers, ninety percent of the retailers that I dealt with were hobbyists that opened up a business because they wanted to, I don't know, either be able to buy wholesale or be able to, uh, you know, have a smoking room with a cash register at the front of it. Right. Uh, and they all came in with preconceived notions of what's their favorite and what are they going to promote, and you know. And you really came into it and looked at it from a business standpoint and are letting your customers kind of guide you and educate you and learn as you go. Sure. Yeah, I don't, like I said, I don't, you know, I never had any preconceived notions about what the business was. I didn't have any favorites. I didn't have any biases. I looked at it purely as a business opportunity. Um, You know, there's been certainly some complications. You know, you learn as you go along. There's a lot of things I I wish I had known before I had gotten into the business that that I know now. But you know, overall, it was because it was a such a passionate niche where where people really have very strong loyalties and opinions. I thought that this was a this was a business that you know if you if you do a good job and you deliver on those people's expectations, you could build some loyal customers, and that's proven to be the case. Well, and that had to tie in with your with your time in in aerospace, where you know it's the same thing if you provide your customers with what you promise and at a, and at a good value, you're going to keep right. them. So, so now instead of, uh, instead of selling airplanes, you're making pipes fly off the shelf. <laughs> well, that's a good way to look at it. Um, but you know, it's, yeah, it's the same. I think it's any, if you look at any business, right? If, if you can't make money, if you don't have a business plan, if you don't have a customer base, if you, you know, if you don't know where you're going to go from point A to point B, it's just a hobby. You know, a lot of people start, quote unquote, businesses that start really more as hobbies and yeah. it never really progresses beyond the hobby. So I looked at this purely as a, as a business and I said, well, is this a business for, for primarily, is this a business that is in a good position, profitable, you know, steady income stream, loyal customer base? And I checked all those boxes. Yes. And then, then I looked at it. Well, is this a is this a business that I would like to be in first secondarily? And that answer came back, yes, as well. And then I thought about it. Additionally, what about the barriers to entry? Right? You look at any kind of business, you try to decide, is, are there barriers to entry or can anybody get into it? So if I looked at e-commerce businesses, you know, selling vitamins or selling widgets or selling whatever, yeah. you know, there's a million people out there doing that. And it's real easy to get into those kind of businesses. But the tobacco business, you know, it's a highly regulated business. It's under a lot of pressure in the last 10, 15 years with due to regulation and taxation issues. So, you know, there's some definite headwinds in the business that 
prevent a lot of people from wanting to jump into it. But I still realized when I realized that how loyal of a customer base there was, you know, I realized that there's a there's an opportunity here that, you know, provided I can provide a good service and be a reliable supplier, that I could build loyalty in the customer base and can continue to manage and run the business profitably and potentially even expand it. Yeah, I mean, Rich had built up a following of people and yeah, they were dedicated for noggins customers. I'm sure. I, I'm assuming you probably had some of those that were a little scared when when you took over. Well, there's always you know any anything in life, right? Any transition in life, right? Is always there's always risk. So for me as a business owner, managing that risk was really important to me. Not to alienate customers, to be able to you know provide the level of service and and one-on-one service you know the, the customers of four noggins are really you know i get a lot of calls every day people that just regularly call in their order they could order online but they want to just talk to me and just chat and see what's going on see what products are new etc and that's really a big part of it it's not you know it's not like an amazon where you just order everything online and you have no chance of actually ever talking to somebody <laughs> i mean we have a phone line that rings pretty much all day long and you know, there's loyal customers, people who are buying from Rich for years, uh, who continue to buy from us because they know that they can pick up the phone, they can dial a number, and a real live person, and in, in most cases, me, the owner, picks up the phone, and can take care of them right then and there. And that, you know, that's reassuring for anybody who yeah. who shops, whether it's online or or otherwise, that you know you're you're talking to somebody who's who's genuine and who cares and who can is empowered to make decisions to help you get what you need. So let's go back. You said there are some things that you wish you knew then that you know now. What 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 kind of surprised you about getting into the tobacco business? Well, it's it's nothing nothing really glamorous. It's it's more a necessary evil, and that is the whole regulation and taxation side of it. I had no concept of how uh, regulated the business had been you know i had done some due diligence before i had gotten into it but you know there's been a lot of work that has to be done a lot of administrative costs and additional uh, filings and things that i have to do not only with the state but you know federally as well that just adds a layer of complexity to the job you know it's like any industry that's highly taxed or highly regulated you know and i had I really didn't know to the full extent of how, you know, regulated the tobacco industry is from a lot of different perspectives. You know, I think more more so than it being an overwhelming uh, scope of work, it's more just it was kind of a surprise to me because I had never worked in this kind of environment. But now, you know, a year plus on, it's just become part of how we operate. You know, there's I, I like to use the expression that the tax man never sleeps, but uh, you know that's and that's part of the this business, right? It's a it's a regulated business, and you know it's just we've made it part of how we are, who we are, and what, how we work, and it's 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 something that we've assimilated to fairly well. I know people that have opened up a uh, opened up a, a shop in the in the cigar industry or whatever, and have said you know thought thought they were going to work as a tobacconist and said they've turned out they've gone to work as a tax collector yeah yeah and a paperwork filer right yeah. I mean, every month i have i have you know regulations and things i have to file not only with this you know with the state of connecticut especially and, and every and every uh, domicile every state has different you know taxation some places you can't sell via the internet some places you can some states you can have tobacco in the states and they don't really care as long as you don't sell it in the state. Some states they care as long as minute you bring the tobacco over the border. So there's such a disparity between the way tobacco is viewed uh, 
from state to state that makes it makes that piece of it a little bit challenging but you know there's some overarching requirements that most tobacconists have to comply with which you know as long as you comply with those you're, you're in good shape so it's you know it's been a it's a it's a it's a burden on business but you know many businesses have burdens regardless of what you're selling if there's a taxation issue excise tax if you're selling gasoline or fuel or whatever those industries have similar excise tax situations so it's you know it's a part of the business but uh, you know as long as i make it transparent or seamless that the customer isn't burdened by that that's you know my goal is to you know the back end of our businesses shouldn't be the customer's concern so making sure that we're delivering product that's reasonably priced that's competitively priced that's delivered on time to where customers want it is really what our primary goal is jeff we'll take a break right here when we come back we'll talk more about what four noggins is doing and uh We'll uh, we'll even get into some of the some of the cool products that you've got because I'm looking at the website right now and I want to chat about them. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at CND as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with Jeff Tomei of uh, FourNoggins.com. And uh, before we get started talking about tobacco, can we just address that you are not related to the famous Tomei? Or, or you might be, but it's way back? Well, I don't even know when the movie My Cousin Vinny came out, but <laughs> Marissa, Marissa Tomei put the Tomei name on the map. Uh, and for years, people would always ask me, Tomei, are you related to? And I'd be like, yes, I am. Actually, at first I would say, no, I'm not. She's, not, I'm not related to her. And then people, when they people frowned and walked away, I said, well, that's boring. It's not, a, you know, I can't. They wanted to start a conversation with me, and I was telling them the truth. <laughs> <laughs> so then when they started asking me, are you related? Oh, yes, she's a second cousin, and you know, we met once many years ago when we were kids. And it would become a much more interesting segue into uh, some other kind of conversation. So for, for the purposes of this conversation, yes, I'm related to Marissa Tomei. It sounds much more interesting. I, I've, for, for the six and a half years or so of this show, I've used a couple of quotes from my cousin Vinny as part of the, as part of the little taglines or stuff at the end of the show. So I, I, I'm glad we got that out of the way. And no, I'm not related to Adam Levine either, unless you... Yeah, unless you go all the way back to the pyramids, I'm sure yeah, our, our cousins put. Back. Yeah, we pushed in blocks together back then. So, uh, you know, somewhere way, way back, we're all kind of related somewhere, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. You go back far enough. <laughs> you get back to Adam and Eve, and we're all cousins. Uh, yeah. All right, so, so let's talk. Let's talk about your your product line, because I. Sure. I'm guessing, you know, you, you look at the business, and then all of a sudden you get into the business, and the next thing you know. 
there are changes coming to the business. Yeah, and that was that was part of the you know the big surprise for me after I initially acquired the business. And, you know, I you know Rich, the former owner, had, had positioned this business as a, a premium pipe tobacco business. You know, we we do sell some value pipe tobacco, but it's it's primarily you know the middle 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 tier and up tobaccos that we've kind of created a name for ourselves. So you know, three, I was three months into it in, in March of last year. And uh, McClellan decides to close its doors. And that was kind of a a blow because McClellan had been a really big product line for us, or we sold quite a bit of their product. And, you know, just from a, from a quality of product and aesthetic point of view, I mean, there was no tins that were quite as nice and decorative to look at as the McClellan product line, the names, the graphics of their product, et cetera. And, but the quality of the tobacco, I mean, even for a guy like me who was a fairly recent participant in the pipe business, you know, just smoking some of that McClellan tobacco was really a joy because of just the, you know, the purity and the quality of it. And it was really kind of a disappointment to see them go away so quickly into my tenure. And it's really been, a, you know, I have a lot of customers as well who have, uh, you know, who missed that, missed that brand and missed that blend to the point where it also created some problems with the rest of our product line and that, you know, the availability of bulk tobaccos from McClellan that were used in some of our blends went away and we had to work really hard to find suitable substitutes. We know we're over that hump now, but you know that was a that was a major, a major blow. I shouldn't say a blow, but it was just kind of a major disappointment early on in the business that uh, that quality brand went away so went away so early. And then you got the follow up of now Dunhill trickling out of the market too. Yeah, and that's um, you know that's another one that's that's been a disappointment as well. I mean, you know, the Dunhill brand over the last years was made by Scandinavian Tobacco, but there's a there's a lot of people who, you know, remember the Dunhill of old, which was, you know, in and of itself, one of the premier uh, blends of tobaccos. And, uh, you know, there's still some of that stuff available out there. We sell some of it in our consignment or, you know, some of our customers sell it via our consignment route. But, um, you know, that product leaving as well, it's, it's created holes. There's a lot of holes yeah. in the market. You know, Peterson tobacco was another one that, that went away. Um, that I'm told is coming back, but, uh, you know, that, that blends, those blends left as well. And then there's, you know, just shortages in general that have, you know, put a lot of strain. It's, the supply chain is under, seems to be under quite a bit of strain in the U.S. anyway. Um, so those are all challenges. Those are, you know, headwinds that this business has to keep itself positioned as a, as a provider of premier tobaccos. Um, you know, everybody wants to get their hands on the good stuff. And it's you know it's provided some challenges for not only for us as an operator but for the customer base as well who you know really got used to smoking particular blends and now those blends are in short supply and you know everybody's scrambling and in many cases you know paying paying you know exorbitant fees or exorbitant amounts to you know to get their hands on things and you know that's I guess it's part of this, the reality of the situation but it's you know it's kind of an unfortunate position for the market to be in. Yeah, and with you being relatively new to the new to the hobby slash industry, uh, if you're out of stock of well, we'll, we'll pick on Esoterica. Sure. Um, if you're out of stock of that, do you see your customers going and buying something else that you do have in stock, or do they just wait until Esoterica comes in? Well, I mean, I think most most smokers have you know their their A brands, their stuff that they like to smoke more than any others and then they have the b brands which is what they'll smoke when the a isn't available so the you know the b blends are you know a lot of your routine stuff your your captain black your lane limited things your sutliff some of your other blends 
in that category that I like to consider middle market blends. Mm-hmm. You know, those things are seem to be always available. But the premium stuff comes and goes. It's like it's like feast or famine. And you know, that's <laughs> yeah. kind of a, an unfortunate situation where the stuff comes in and it leaves just as quickly. And, you know, even the supply of it, you know, from when I bought the business over a year a year ago till now, you know, I used to have fairly good access when I first bought when I first started buying back in early twenty eighteen to you know, a lot of your different blends, whether they be, you know, the Lakeland stuff out of out of the UK or the German products, including the Esoterica, the Germains, and some of the other stuff that's available out there from Europe. Um, and now it's become more of a, gee, can I get my hands on any of it? And, you know, there's so little of it to go around that it's, uh, you know, it's become quite a challenge for me as a, as a supply, as a retailer, but, you know, also for the suppliers as well to get their hands on the stuff. And there's a lot of people clamoring for it. So it's, it's created an unfortunate situation for at least the U.S. or North American customers where now they're competing against, you know, a global audience. You know, pipe smoking has has increased in popularity in places like China and, and the Far East. And, you know, that's drawing demand, uh, uh, drawing product demand into those markets where the suppliers who, who are making equipment, who are making, excuse me, making tobacco product on machinery that was, you know, that's 100 years old. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, right they can only make so much and being an agricultural product right there's only so much tobacco to go around that they just can't you just can't make more of it you know you have to grow it and it goes through a seasonal cycle and if there's any problems with the crop it creates an issue with being able to manufacture or if the batches aren't manufactured properly that you know they have to throw it out and start all over again so it's it's really you know there's it's a it's a it's an industry under strain uh, from a from a supply perspective, but it's also an industry under strain from a regulatory perspective. So that kind of creates a double whammy for the business that you know makes it a little bit challenging to be able to navigate forward and get get the quality products into the hands of consumers who who really enjoy the stuff and who really appreciate you know what a fine tobacco is. Yeah, I mean, suffice it to say, you you your life would be much easier if. You had everything that your customer wanted the minute they wanted it, and sure. they'd click buy, and you'd click ship, and <laughs> that would be happy. Yeah, if there if there wasn't well, I mean that's but that's you know part of it is is that if something is available all the time, it, it, it you don't appreciate it. You know, I think I think I've found that, you know just from talking to customers that because they can't get a lot of these things, boy, they really appreciate it when they can get their hands on it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I have an esoterica, I'll just pick on esoterica again, esoterica, Penzance, or Stonehaven, right? Everybody wants to get their hands on Stonehaven or Penzance. And there's so little of it to go around that when I do get it and I can supply or support some of my better customers with it, you know, they're they're gratified because they finally got their hands on a tin of, you know, this stuff that, and they're willing to pay more for it, which is, which is unfortunate because it's not really, it's not really worth the super premiums that it sometimes commands but it you know it's like anything else if you can't get it and you want it you know some people are willing to pay crazy amounts for it and other people are you know they'll say well i'll pass on that and i'll go find something else that's that's suitable or gets the job done for me and they're willing to let go of it so it's become almost like a luxury good and you know that's that's okay i mean every industry needs to have a premium premium category a super premium category i'll even call this this now but you know it's artificially been made a super premium category but the, you know i still believe that there's plenty of tobacco available and there's plenty of good decent tobaccos that are available out there it's just it's become a challenge chasing the super premium stuff and that you know it creates a little bit of a heart, heartache for me 
and definitely because it creates a heartache for my customers that you know i hear the disappointment in their voices when they call me and they ask me do you have such and such and i have to say no and when they ask me well when when are you going to get it and i say gee i really don't know and you know that <laughs> yeah. keep, keep having to say no to your customer and i'm sorry i can't get my hands on it and no i don't have it uh, you know that creates an unfortunate situation because there's nothing worse than you know disappointing your customers or having customers who are you know, disappointed that you can't, you don't have it and they have to go see if they can find it somewhere else. So yeah, yeah no is not a happy word in salesman talk. No, not at all. You know, you want to be able to, you know, supply your customers. When I get a call, I'd like to be able to say, yes, I have that. So what is for, what it's kind of forced me to do a little bit, Brian, and I guess this is a little bit of a, a, a secret that I'm letting out is I've had to, you know, I try to retain some of that stuff when I do get my hands on it. I don't necessarily put it on my website right away because I have good customers or, or steady customers who are looking, who I know are looking for that stuff. You know, I wish I could sell it to everybody, but I, but I can't because there's such limited quantities. I mean, when, when I get 12 tins of something, I can't possibly just, you know, disappoint my, my regular customers and, and just sell that outright just the day I get it. So, you know, I, I tend to, I will sometimes call my regular customers and let them know that, you know, we have this product in, would you like some? In most cases, they're, they're grateful for that. And, you know, and that's just part of, just, just part of business. It's, you know, you, you try to take care of the people who take care of you. Yeah. Um, and, but that, that being said, you know, I wish I could take care of more customers. I wish I had an unlimited supply of this stuff, but it's just not the way the market is. It's not four noggins. It's not, you know, any of my competitors who are creating these artificial barriers to, to get product. It's more just that the availability of the stuff just isn't there. And, you know, we're kind of in a, in a market, in a situation right now where that's three, that's the new reality that we all have to deal with. And we're not the only industry that that happens in. Try to find a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle bourbon. There you go, right? Anything that's manufactured from an agricultural product or has to be grown or has to be made or distilled or, or what have you, right? There's always there's always supply chain issues, right? If the Jack Daniels yeah. distillery blew up tomorrow, right, there suddenly would be a shortage of Jack Daniels. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there's there's... Yeah, that that happens in any business so you know for me as a supplier of that though as a retailer of that you know it's a, it's a it creates stress for me and my customers you know, but it's you know something that i have to you know calm a lot of people's nerves about <laughs> that it's going to be okay we'll we'll find it for you and we'll get it and you know what so what's happened is a lot of these tobaccos people that have bought them have come to me and said, hey, I've got these tins, these special tins that are, you know, 15 years old, 25 years old, or even just recent tins, and they want to resell them in an open marketplace. And you typically can't sell them on some of your uh, other commercial marketplaces that are out there, online marketplaces, although people do. Um, so they come to me and we list them in our consignment area on our yeah. website. So the, the stuff that's in our consignment area are tins that are owned by our, my customers who asked me to sell it for them. And we take a picture of the tin and we post details about it and we put the items up for sale. And typically that's a negotiation between myself and the seller about what the price should be. Some guys, you know, they, they think that there's super premium stuff and they should demand top dollar and okay, you know, we negotiate it, but there are people out there who are willing to pay. And I'm talking about a global audience yeah. who are willing to pay really high sums for stuff because they can't possibly imagine ever getting their hands on anything like that. And that creates an opportunity for my customers to resell some of these super premium tobaccos. And it allows other people to buy those super premium tobaccos when typically they're not available or if you don't have a channel to go get them, 
you know, this is a channel for them to to be able to buy those, you know, 25 year old, uh, you know, my mix 965, you know, in, in the original sealed can that's been preserved, you know, super well. And, and a note about that also is that I only take consignments from people that I know, people that have a relationship with foreign organs or people that, you know, have a reputation in the business of, of not being, you know, shysters or or people who are dealing in, in subpar uh, tobacco so trying to preserve the integrity of the product is really important to me because the last thing i want is somebody to pay 400 dollars for a tin of tobacco and then say well four noggins is selling garbage the tin was open the stuff was like dust yeah etc uh, etc et that doesn't benefit anybody so there's you know maintaining a level of integrity in what we do and what we sell is really very important to me to make sure that my customers are satisfied and then you know they they tell other people that you know Fort Hoggins is a reputable place and a great place to buy your tobaccos, and you know the, it, the brand the brand builds itself and sustains itself with that kind of relationship. Yeah, and, and and again, I love how you're emphasizing the fact that it's a relationship business and that you're furthering furthering the relationship with you know, working with your client, working with your customer base, and sure, you know, available to offer this stuff on a on a limited you know limited availability but you're not also just taking whatever and not in it just for the for the quick buck either it's yeah you know, it's got to be a mutual relationship yeah you know like i said there's a lot of we have a lot of regular customers and you know it's really important to me that those uh, take care of those folks because you know those people call me up and, hey jeff how you doing can you get me to such and such and uh you know it's a it's a personal relationship that we have with our customers you know there's of course there's like any business there's people who just buy on our website it's just a transaction and if we have stuff that's great you know we hope they come back again and we hope we hope to find ways to to further develop that relationship right what else and one of the questions i ask all the time is well what else do you buy what else could we be selling you know we're not the biggest in the business and you know there's a lot of stuff that we don't sell that we could sell that, you know, if you go to some of the bigger online guys, you know, they have everything you could possibly imagine. Um, our goal is not to be everything to everybody with four noggins. It's, it's, to, it's to maintain the integrity of what we sell and to really stay focused on that middle market and the uh, premium stuff, um, you know, while also providing some other opportunities for people to buy value tobacco as well. But it's not really a focus of, of ours. Our focus is more the guy who, who really has a, a favorite and he wants to buy that favorite, and uh, we try really hard to make sure we have that favorite for them, so that they continue to come back to us, and we sell it to them at a, you know at a reasonable price, and and deliver it to what they expected, and that's really what you need from any you want from any business or any supplier, and that's what we really try to do. Yeah. So, and, and talking about the uh, talking about the the state of the online business, you know, in my mind, Four Noggins for years has been one of the big three or four online retailers. But sure. you're you're the only ones that are really doing these consignment tins. I'm going through right now and looking at what you've got available as we're recording this, and there is some rare some rare stuff that I've. There's a couple things I've never seen before. Sure. And there's some stuff that I haven't seen in a long time. Plus, you're doing, you know, Four Noggins has had their own bulk tobaccos. So you've got custom blended tobaccos, which we, you know, we talked about a little bit with you having to juggle some of them because of McClellan going away. But, right. uh, yeah, not a lot of, uh, 
<laughs> not a lot of the online guys have their own custom blends that they're promoting and putting out. And you know, that's been a, a significant or I don't know if it's been significant, but I know it's always been an important part of the four noggins experience was private blended uh, bulk tobaccos. Yep, and that's you know it's to this day it remains you know a key core part of our business. Uh, you know, Rich did a good job building that portfolio of product, and you know some really nice blends are in there that that we you know that we either they're match blends from something else that's no longer available, or they're just recipes that were were come up by with by Rich and you know working with his customers. Some of the blends that we actually sell were collaborations between. Uh, the former owner rich and 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 customers who said gee what if we blended this and that and you know we put the things together and <laughs> yeah and, and here you go and voila here's a new blend that we sell and uh, you know they've been really popular and there's real loyal following of some of those some of those blends as well so that's really been a really good part of our business a strong part of our business as is consignment consignment is you know consignment is the is a really a really smaller slice of the marketplace because there's not a lot of people who are willing to pay four hundred dollars for a tin of tobacco um, but there are some people who, who always are looking for that, you know, that, that super ultra unavailable product that they're willing to pay for it provided the, but, but the key is, is that the integrity of the product has got to be good. Yep. If the, if, if a 20 year old tin, like I mentioned earlier, is not up to what they expect, you know, there's going to be disappointment and problems and that's not the reputation that we're looking to cultivate. So it's really important to me that, that the customer gets what they're expecting. And at those price points, um, you know, there's a really strong focus on quality of product and integrity of the of the product that people are buying. You know, that's our reputations on the line when it comes to that. And uh, you know, maintaining and preserving the reputation of this company is uh, is a paramount to me. We will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? Sure, let's go. And these will be kind of fun because you are really kind of new to the new to the hobby side of it for a couple of these. So first one is, what is your favorite pipe? My favorite pipe is a Peterson Rossler. And what is your favorite tobacco? My favorite tobacco. Well, I tend towards aromatics, and I'm going to say one of our blends that we have, which is a which is a Lord Methley, is kind of a, a cherry raspberry and i can <laughs> i know there's some purists up there who are cringing right now hearing you say that but i'm sorry that uh, i tend like i said i tend towards the sweeter aromatics with the pipe and that that's my favorite one about 85 percent of the pipe tobacco yeah. sold in the u.s is aromatic so don't 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 put your head down if you enjoy it smoke that's it. quite all right uh what is your favorite drink my favorite drink is a woodford reserve bourbon Okay, good choice. Uh, when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Um, relaxation, uh, music. Music tends to relax me more than anything. If, you know, if I'm having a stressful day or a, a difficult situation, I, I turn on some music that kind of lifts me up or uh, gets me going, gets me out of my seat, makes me want to dance. Uh, that's definitely what I what's, that's my <laughs> go-to. And finally, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory that we haven't talked about? Um, just the memory of the smell of a room uh, when uh, my grandfather and some of his friends used to sit around and smoke pipe uh, many years ago uh, when I was a kid. And that uh, just the memory and, and seeing smoke curling up to the ceiling uh, with guys sitting around just chatting and having a 
a good time and telling some stories is a was a is a memory that's stuck in my mind and probably will be for the rest of my life and, and most of those stories were all true weren't they well i was just i was a little at the <laughs> time so i'm not sure what they were talking about but all i knew was that they were having a good time talking about it and uh you know definitely a, a, a good drink and uh a pipe or even a cigar in some cases was always part of it. So that's kind of embedded in my, in my DNA about, you know, socialization and gatherings and, and friendship that uh, these things that I sell today with two foreign organs were, were and are a big part of that. And I'm uh, working hard to preserve that. Uh, the website, if you don't know it, but if you've listened to this show for any length of time, you should know it's foreignorgans.com. Uh Check out the consignments, the custom blended stuff the tobacco selection is you know is the is uh uh is as wide as any and as deep as any uh jeff thanks for coming on thanks for doing this and uh, thanks for keeping four noggins chugging along thanks brian i really appreciate your time and we'll be back in just a minute a savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And, of course, you know about fournoggins.com, so go check them out. All right, for music, because Chicago is coming up quick, and uh, Donald Duck Dunn, uh, bassist of the Blues Brothers, was a pipe smoker until his passing. Uh, how about a little Blues Brothers? And this one's called, I don't know. <laughs> By the way you do Good time papa gonna poison you Sprinkle a goop of dust all around your bed Wake up on these days, find your own self dead She said you shouldn't say that I said, what did I say to make you mad this time, baby? Ah! She said, mm, I don't know my own right, oh my Got dimple and a jaw. The clothes she wear made out of the best of cloth. She can take them and wash them, put them up beside the wall. She can throw them out the window, pick them up a little bit before they fall. Sometimes I think you got your habits on. She said, You shouldn't say that. I said, Well, what did I say to piss you off this time, baby? She said,
him My mama sat down and cried See, you're too young a man to have many women you got I looked at my mother, dear, didn't even crack a smile Said the women killed me I don't mind dying The woman I love, I warned her week before last The woman I love, I got outclassed Thought I warned you, baby, a long time ago You don't want your step, gonna have to let you go She said, you shouldn't say that I said, well, baby, you know when you bend over, I see every bit of Christmas. When you bend back, I'm looking right into the new year. She said, honey, honey, you know I gave up cigarettes for my New Year's resolution, but I didn't give up smoking. I said, woman, woman, you gonna walk a mile for a camel? Are you gonna make like Mr. Chesterfield and satisfy you? She said, she said, that all depends on what you're packing. Regular or king size. And then she pulled out my Jim Beam. And to her surprise, it was every bit as hard as my Canadian club. I said, I said, well, now. What you got to say, babe? She said, mm -hmm. I don't know. Oh, my, oh, my. She said, I don't know what my baby's putting down. Blues Brothers and I Don't Know recorded live. I want to know what goober dust is. You've got mail. Pattern baldness. And in the mailbag, well, not much new to report because this is all pre-recorded. But remember, if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you'd like to hear on the show, uh, you know, guess you want me to have uh, maybe a new host for the show. No, I'm kidding. Uh tobacco blends you want reviewed email me brian at pipesmagazine.com if you don't hear back from me right away yeah you know, give me three four days sometimes two days and then uh send it again just to make sure it didn't get caught in the spam filter uh but two things real quick uh one uh sheldon richmond has a website called hobby not habit h-o-b-b-y-n-o-t-h-a-b-i-t dot blog hobby not habit dot blog and what i want you to do in particular is read his three-part uh three-part essay on the fda's assault on tobacco consumers there's part one two and three I won't go into detail of what's there. I want you to go there, and I want you all to read it for yourself. It is wonderfully written and uh, is getting some national distribution. And you can also read the three-part series not only on his own website, but you can go to uh, go to the website that he, he's a part of that is I'm skimming through for it because I can't find it right now, but I'm going to keep vamping until I do. There it is. The Libertarian Institute website, the libertarianinstitute.org. Uh, Sheldon writes for them on a regular basis. Do go and check out Hobby Not Habit and read the three-part assault on the FDA. All right, remember the JDRF auctions are going on right now, and I will go real quickly over them again. 
There's a Missouri Meerschaum with the Aristocob stems, a Falcon pipe, a Stanwell 89, a uh, Shape 89, a Jaden Hewlin unsmoked bamboo, a Chacombe brand new pipe donated by Arango Cigar, a uh, pipe by Jan Harry Seifert, uh, a bent egg from Scott's Pipes from Scott Klein, uh, a Savinelli and a Peterson pipe, all brand new, donated by La DC. And, uh, and of course, uh, those tins of tobacco, all, uh, well, let's not forget the Nate Rose commission. That's where you bid. You're the highest bidder. You and Nate talk about what kind of pipe you want. All those pipes come with a hat from me. And then there's a ton of tobacco coming up this Saturday on, uh, the pipe studs, uh, pipe studs tobacco uh, website p-i-p-e-s-t-u-d.com all of his the pipes will be auctioned off on steve fallon's pipe stud ebay store and the tobaccos will be on his pipestud.com website they'll all say somewhere in their jdrf auction or jdrf fundraiser and remember 100% of what you bid goes directly to the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. Steve has donated all of his time, his eBay fees, his PayPal fees. He's donated all of that to help us, and I greatly appreciate it as much as I pick on him, but it's purely because his wife loves me dearly. Uh, all that time and effort, and then every little bit that you bid or every little bit that you buy goes directly to the JDRF to help people like my daughter. Over the past, uh, let's see, the past five, five out of six years that we've done this auction, I believe this is the sixth year, uh, I think our total is around $7,000 that we've raised, seven or $8,000. That's all wonderful. Would love to get, you know, heck with this tobacco alone that we've got here. I mean, Mike Zika donated 21 tins of of a yield sign. That's got to be worth at least 20 bucks a piece. So there's a thousand dollars right there. Um, again, thank you to uh, Jim Herbert, Kevin Berenger, Joshua Holdridge, uh, Nate Rose, John Robinson, Dale Neff, Arango Cigar, Steve Davenport, Scotts Pipes, Mike Zika and uh, smokingpipes.com and especially a big thank you to steve fallon for all this effort uh if you want to donate directly you know reach out to me i will put a fundraiser on my facebook page for uh for the jdrf and then you can just do a cash donation directly and that's much appreciated brian levine on facebook you can follow me there and uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, although I'm staying off of Twitter lately. <laughs> uh, but anyway, all right, that's enough of that. Just go out there, bid these things up. We really appreciate it. And again, the pipes are running right now. Tobacco is coming up next Saturday, and then it'll all be sold out, and then that'll be that. And in just a moment, rant time. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. 
And, of course, I'm on an anti-kick, all right? I'm on an anti-kick because those anti-smokers that walk by and go, oh, 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 your secondhand smoke is causing me cancer. Well, you know what? If, the, if secondhand smoke really had the effect, and there are several articles, including Forbes.com and the Wall Street Journal, that have written articles about the hoax of secondhand smoke. And if you want one, go to my Facebook page or my Twitter page, and you can read the one from Forbes. If, not, if secondhand smoke caused cancer, then everybody from the 1930s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, every child that lived in a home then would be dead. That's it, quite simply. You know, my grandmother grew up with, a, with her father smoking a pipe all those years, and she only lived 101 and a half. Uh, my, my mom's father smoked cigarettes about a pack, pack and a half a day most of his adult life. And both of his kids, or my mom and my aunt, yeah, they didn't get secondhand smoke. My grandmother, who lived with him all of his smoking life, she never had secondhand smoke. The secondhand smoke thing is a hoax. It is not cancer-causing, unless you are sensitive or delicate to it. And in most cases, it's just an irritant. So just keep letting, you know, keep those cards and letters going out to people. And we're going to change this slowly that secondhand smoke doesn't cause cancer. It may agitate, uh, it may agitate uh, a, a symptom that you already have, but it doesn't cause cancer because otherwise there wouldn't be anybody left alive that was raised in the 1930s, 1940s, or 1950s. Secondhand smoke is a hoax. People don't like the smell. And I got a whole one about the reason why cigarettes stink right now. But secondhand smoke is all a hoax put up by the anti-smokers. There you go. All right. I'm, I'm getting better about this. I'm starting to feel better, starting to ease down. So, again, keep those comments coming. Brian at PipesMagazine.com. Remember the JDRF auctions are going on right now. And check out the Pipe Studs website for the tin tobaccos that are coming up for sale. Appreciate everything that you guys can do. Thank you to Jeff Tomei for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. The clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather happy Everything that guy just says, bullshit. Thank you.